Psalm 127 is a sermon uh, from a series that I'm preaching, Gospel Reboot. We want to be a radical, relevant, rebooting church. And we are going to learn from the Word of God how that can happen, not only on a congregational, corporate level, but in our own personal lives individually. Psalm 127 reads, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers in vain, they labor in vain who build it, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the wound is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one Jew. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them, they shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you for all that you're doing. We are humble that whenever we call on that name that is above every name that you hear us, and you have declared that if we ask anything according to your will, we have this confidence that you will do it. And so with that in mind, we know that your word will never Return unto you void, but it will accomplish that which you please, and it will prosper whereunto you send it. And we thank you as you send your word forth today. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. 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 We want to be a radical, relevant, rebooting church, and we're going to talk more about that during our vision meeting following the service. Two of the most dreaded words, no employee, no employed person wants to hear, are you fired? If you are employed, working, or a paycheck, you do not want to hear your employer say you're fired. Many companies realize how negative and devastating those words can be, have developed a number of creative ways to say, you're fired. Let me give you a few examples. We're letting you go. Uh, this is one of my favorites because where else is the employee going except to the unemployment line? So you're letting me go to the unemployment line. Uh, we're going to allow you to pursue other opportunities. <laughs> Thanks, boss, for thinking of my future. Uh, we're going to end our relationship at this time. Here's another one. We think you would be a better asset if you worked for our, comp our competition. How about this one? Uh, we're eliminating your position 
we're downsizing. They just changed the name of the department that you were working in. Uh, we're cutting costs. Here's a one that's uh, frequently used. We've decided to go in another direction. We're making a change. How about when you see those employees walk into the boss's office and she immediately picks up the phone and the security comes in uh, with empty boxes uh, to escort the person outside the building without the boss saying one way or the other, simply the security presence <laughs> in the empty boxes is their way of saying, you're fired. The truth is that there's no easy way to tell somebody that you know are no longer employed, you're no longer wanted, your services will be discontinued. Now, if you've ever been fired, let me see. No, no, don't, don't raise it. <laughs> Amen. I think our president uh, won the election because of his popularity for his show where he was often the guy who said those two words. You're fired. <clears throat> While none of us want to add to our resume those two words, all of us here today need to get terminated by God. When it comes to building a house, guarding the city, being a husband or wife, a father or a mother, you just need to look in the mirror and say to yourself, you're fired. None of us are qualified or have the capabilities that are needed to build a house so that it becomes a home. Unfortunately, we are operating under the false impression that somehow the facade that we call home, and even in our efforts to be a good husband and wife, that somehow those efforts apart from God have eternal value. I hear the Bible saying that apart from me, we can do nothing, and in our flesh, in our human strength, without the anointing and the unction, the influence and the leading of the Spirit of God, you and I have absolutely nothing to add that will have eternal, transformational benefit. Turn to somebody and say, you fired. <laughs> That's exactly... I said, I told my wife, I said, turn to somebody. She's looking at me. <coughs> turn to your neighbor. That's exactly what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, unless the Lord builds a house, they that try to do it, your efforts are worthless. So, Start from the beginning by terminating yourself, by recognizing that you can't do it. 
fire yourself. In order to fully appreciate the words that are recorded in Psalm 127, a very popular and famous psalm that we often attribute to King David, but this psalm was actually recorded under the inspiration and superintending of the Holy Spirit by David's son, Solomon, who was the third king of the nation of Israel. Solomon, at the time of his father's death, was instructed by his father that you are going to take my place. You will succeed me in leading the nation of Israel, the house of God. You may not be married. You may not have any children, but whatever God has given you stewardship over, that's your house. That's your domain. That's your responsibility. And so the Lord said through David that, Solomon, you will give direction. You will be the covering for the nation of Israel. And the first thing that Solomon at age 20 had sense enough to do was to fire himself. Listen to what is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon prayed, and his prayer caught the attention of God. I want you to understand, not all prayers get God's attention. In Matthew chapter 6, it says that certain prayers only have their self-addressed. They're coming right back to you. But when you pray, the, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you will, and it will be done. This prayer that Solomon prayed was in accordance to the will of God when it came to being the leader over the house of Israel. Now, O oh Lord, my God, you have made your servant king. You did this. You gave me this family. You gave me this job. You gave me these gifts. You gave me these opportunities over the house of my father, David. But I am a little child. I'm 20 years old. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your, these people, this house, my marriage, my children, this car. It all belongs to you because every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights who changes not. And your servant is in the midst of a great people, a chosen people, too numerous to number or count, be counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? God gave Solomon a blank check. Fill it in however you choose. First thing that Solomon said, I recognize very clearly that I'm unqualified, I'm unskilled. And this has nothing to do with how you were raised. Many of us as men were raised in houses of single-parent women. And even though Solomon was raised by his father, David was a rolling stone wherever he laid his hat. He had, David had a lot of wives and a lot of children. He had a blended family that never blended. His father was an adulterer, and we know what happened with Solomon later on in his life. He lost his mind over the Shunammite, among other things. But God says, after Solomon offers this prayer in acknowledgment of his limitations, the Bible says, 
God was pleased. When you recognize that apart from God, I can't do this. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Once you get the Spirit of God, the power is there. But to release the power is to recognize that I need to surrender in order for God to get out of me what he already placed in me. He who began a good work will perfect it until the day of redemption, but I must work out my own soul salvation. I must do the work as he is at work in me because I am crucified. I've died. I'm dead. I can't do this thing. I'm dead. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm alive, but the life that I now live is not in my own strength, but I live by the strength of him who loved me and died. Because I can do how many things through Christ? How many things through Christ? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For nothing shall be impossible with him. And so the Bible says that God was pleased. And he said, Solomon, you did not ask for the lives of your enemies. You didn't ask for an extended, lengthy life. You didn't even ask for treasure, but you asked for wisdom. And because you humbled yourself in recognition that apart from you can't do anything, I'm going to give you everything that you didn't ask for, plus give you the wisdom to be the head of the house of Israel. I want you to know if you're going to be a good husband, a good father, it starts with recognizing that you can't do it. Somebody say amen. amen. Anybody that accepts that as a part for me, apart from me, there's no eternal value. Now, 20 years later, in 1 Kings chapter 11, the Bible says when Solomon was old, the brother was into breaking records. He wanted to break the Guinness World Book of Records before there was a Guinness World Book of Records. He married 700 women and had 300 mistresses. And the Bible says <coughs> that when he was old, his many wives turned his heart away from God. Solomon was crazy at the end of his life. If you don't believe me, read the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want you to understand something. Sometimes we think, man, if I just had another this, if I had more wives, the last thing you need is another wife. You can't handle the one you got. And if Solomon's life teaches us anything, is that even with all of those women, his flesh still wasn't satisfied. You can never satisfy your flesh. Not only did he have the money to have all of the women, he had the brains to do everything that you could ever do with a woman because he was the wisest man on earth. But the, the Bible says he, he, he literally went spiritually insane. That's why when you read the first 11 chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes, he's talking about vanity of vanities. Everything is worthless. You eat, you drink, and you die. You eat, you drink, and you die. How could that man who prayed the prayer at the beginning of his, of his responsibility end up thinking that life was totally meaningless? It wasn't until chapter 12 where he came to himself. He says, now I understand the chief in the man is to fear God and to worship him and to remember your creator in the days of your youth. And so it was after Solomon 
returned spiritually to his senses like the prodigal in the pig's pen, and he recognized that you, you need God for every step of the way because his word is that lamp, it's that light. He will direct you and guide you, and he will be the one that makes your life have meaning. He was directed by the Spirit of God to write Psalm 127. Now I get it. How many times are we going to have to make mistakes and make bad choices before we finally get it? That we need to fire ourselves. Now, there are just two things that I want to share with you from Psalm 1, verses, uh, Psalm 127, verses 1 through 5. And the first of those two things is that man's methods will fail. Say, man's methods will fail. Verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to see that God's methods, verses 3 through 5, will succeed. Say, God's methods methods will succeed succeed. unless God builds the house. You are laboring in vain unless you allow the Lord, Jehovah, the God of revelation, the God who chooses to reveal himself, the one who will be whatever you need him to be. And whatever your circumstance is, unless you allow him to guard the city, you're staying awake in vain. God's methods work, and man's methods fail. Let me give you three reasons why man's methods fail from this psalm. Methods that depend on human skill alone will always fail. I want you to consider these three words, the word Lord, build, and house. The word Lord, the Hebrew word there is Yahweh, but what's important for our purposes this morning is that we, the, 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 the person that makes it possible for you to succeed is the Lord. It starts with him. So he's the person. The, the provision is what it takes to build your house to make it into the home. So he says, unless the Lord builds, the person is the Lord, the provision is what is built, and the product when the Lord is behind it is a house. And in this context, the house makes reference to a home. A home. You don't just want a house. You want a home. You want a place of refuge, and I don't want to jump ahead. And so we need to understand that, that God, God is the person. The building is the provision. And the product, when God is, is behind it, will be a house. Now, why isn't the Lord building our home? Why isn't God building our home? The word except in the text basically lets us know that house building that leads to a home is a choice, except, which means that you can exclude or include. It's your choice. So the reason why God is not building our homes is because we have chosen to lock him out. You remember in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, the Bible says that Jesus is speaking. He says, behold, I stand at the door knocking, but if any man let me in, except you let me in, but if you don't let me in, 
if you exclude me, I'm not going to kick the door in. I will not force you to allow me to be the covering for your home unless you choose to allow the person who will provide the provisions to produce the home. God will be standing outside with his sleeves rolled up, ready to do the work, but he'll let you wreck your house, wreck your marriage, wreck your family, unless you invite him to do the work. I like the way Joshua said, as they were preparing to move into their new homes, they had been battling, uh, they traveled through the wilderness, and, and now they finally have entered into the promised land. And Joshua gives a series of sermons, and the last of the sermons in chapter 24, verse 15, he says, you choose you this day who you will serve, but as for me, as for me and my house. Now, these were the children of God. They had seen the miracles of God. They had watched the enemy defeated, and now they were walking into their blessing. They had saved the money. They had gotten the, the, the loans. They're getting ready to move into their new house, got a nice new car, job promotion. And he said, but unless you choose this day to allow the Lord to lead, God is not going to get in your car. God is not going to break into your home. God is not a home invader. He only comes in by invitation. Choose you this day. You need to make a decision. This ain't emotional. We tend to get, oh, I get, God, would you help us out? My wife's got a backpack. Uh, the kids are going crazy. I haven't been into school every other day. They're suspended again, and they don't have a cold. They just bad. And I don't know why they bad. They don't, they cussing and they're saying things that we don't even talk about in church. And they got x-rayed kids, three and you know, five and six years old, going to school with pornography and carrying marijuana and, and crack and, and of course. They don't just make it themselves. And then we pray and cry out, Lord, don't let us get arrested because they took our stuff to school or they found the gun that should have been hidden. But I'm not talking about some emotional feeling, uh, touchy feeling. I'm saying that you need to do as Joshua said, as you look at the opportunities that are ahead of you, as you see the door of blessing before you, and you, you got a choice to make. Choose you to stay light or choose death. Choose the Lord or choose your flesh. It's a choice. When we refuse to depend on the Lord, you settle for temporary results. We're able to travel at the speed of light, but we don't let our light shine in, in our, at home. We live like demons at home. Now, nobody in this church, nobody, you, go to, you go home, you open up your Bible, you praying, you ain't cussing, you ain't threatening, you ain't slamming anything. Your neighbors know that you belong to Jesus. When you step out of the car, you got the halo over your head. We can send a man to the moon, but we're sleeping in different rooms as husbands and wives. I talked to a young man. He said he slept in the attic of his home for three years. He said every night he and his wife would be in the same bed. As soon as the children went to bed, he climbed out of that bed and went to the attic. And for three years, they thought. And until him and his wife were divorced, they had no idea that there was a problem. 
We can communicate to people anywhere in the world. You can take your cell phone out right now. And if you ain't paying attention to the story, put your cell phone down. You can text somebody across the world about what's going on right now. We're streaming across the world. But we can go weeks and months without speaking to your mate, not even saying hello. Reading from the same Bible. Shouting on the same song, falling out, jiving, all that, and then get home and go to your neutral corners. You can buy anything you want just with a swipe of a card, but you can't pay for one second of peace. We can build a $100 million state-of-the-art specialized technological school, but we can't make one student learn. We can build a maximum security prison with great high walls, but we cannot remove fear and hate out of people's hearts. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. We need to terminate ourselves. God, we have made a mess. We have left our homes and our families in ruins trying to do this on our own. I know what Good Morning America says and Dr. Phil and Ofer. You need to shut them down and find out what thus saith the Lord about building the house. He is the architecture, the architect and the designer of the home. Unless God does it. So depending upon human skill, will leave you disappointed. Methods that depend on human security says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. The word guard can be translated protect or secure, give you security, a sense of peace. You thought when you came to church, you were safe. You thought when you got on the plane, uh, if, the, if the workers were properly screening everybody, you were safe. You thought that when you were in the mall getting that last Christmas gift that you were safe, you were secure. You thought when they hired you at that job, back in the day was the post office or the phone company, you'd be there all your life. Oh, really? Solomon speaking of dependence of, on human security rather than God. We're talking about build that wall, build that wall, okay. We've got guns, cell phones, cameras to video. We can tape abuse. We can tape crime, but we can't stop it. We've got cops. We've got border walls. We've got, but the murder rate, it keeps on rising. Drug, drug abuse is at an epidemic level in this country. People driving the buses, people teaching our kids, the doctors that are prescribing you medication may be functioning drug addicts strung out on the very medication that they're prescribing you. People are bringing guns to church and knives to church. Nothing sacred anymore unless the Lord gives you security, unless the hedge of protection of God is in place. Well, I just stay in the house. Well, you just stay in the house. They'll come there too. 
The other night I was uh, sleeping with my lovely wife, and I had this terrible dream that we had a home invasion. And uh, I didn't have a weapon, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty strong, but I'm not as, as uh, <laughs> swift as I used to be. Fine, when I get out of the bed, I got to shake this and shake that and stretch this and stretch that. And <laughs> of course, I'm not letting my wife see. I'm like, I'm getting out of bed like I'm okay. Or she, she ain't waking. She ain't seen all right. <laughs> but after the juices get to flowing. But those who are invading homes, they ain't waiting until you get your stuff together. I said, uh. Maybe I ought to get this, or maybe I ought to get that. Then not long after that, uh, Brandon's car was broken into right in front of the house. Somebody went in and didn't get anything. But I don't care where you live or what kind of security system you had, unless the Lord is protecting you. You have no real security. And the devil is alive because God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. I stand I ain't going out at night. Okay, the devil will come where you are. No, I ain't giving any no fear. As for me and my house. I like what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 24 through 26 says, why we should trust the Lord as our security. He says, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will, he will keep your foot from being caught. Paul said, let me tell you why I'm not afraid. I'm in a prison cell. My, my, the, the date of my execution has been determined. I know I'm going to die. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I've run my race. I've kept the faith. But he said, but watch this. For this reason, though, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed for I know in whom I am, have believed, and I am persuaded, I am confident, I have no doubt that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. God is watching over me. God's got this thing under control. But we don't want to trust in human security because they can go under the wall. Or above the wall. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean you need to leave your doors open and put a sign on the window, take whatever in my car. Please have my wife, too. When you, no, you don't do all that. You, 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 you do what you can, but ultimately you rely on the Lord. Human security, human skills, human stamina will fail you. He says, in vain, it is vain for you to rise up early in the morning, human stamina, to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrow, for he gives to his beloved sleep. That's verse 2. Here's what human, human stamina says. And some of you who are poets or are interested in poetry, uh, you, William Ernest Hensley uh, actually wrote this poem in, Vist, in Viticus, in Visticus, and and. He basically said, I am the master of my fate. 
and I'm the captain of my soul. That's what human stamina says. I put my mind to it, and whatever I decide I can do, I can do it. Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. That's human stamina, but it will fail you. Somebody say it will fail me. Some of us work two and three jobs, two and three jobs to get stuff. And when we get the stuff that we have, because now we got it, we got we to gotta add another job, we got to add another, more hours to keep what we got. But here the psalmist says, don't trust in human stamina. They that wait upon the Lord shall have renewed strength. They will mount up with wings of eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and you will not faint. Don't trust in human stamina. You are not the master of your soul. I don't care how many times you work out. I don't care how, if you're vegan, not a vegan, uh, whatever your dietary practices are, when the Lord says to your soul, return, you are going to shut down. You can be driving to work, on the treadmill, on the elliptical, and when God says soul, return, guess what? It's over. You out of here. And guess what? We all checking out. The Bible said it is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, we're going to die. I don't know when. But while it is day, I'm going to work. I'm going to allow the Lord to allow me to do what he wants me to do in his strength. Because it's not about my stamina. But it's about his strength. I'm not the master of my soul. Why does... Human stamina apart from God fell. He said, because the result will be you'll get the bread of sorrow. And the bread of sorrow is this. You got more than you've ever had. You thought, if I got a mad husband, I'd be happy. You still miserable. If I got a wife, I'd be happy. You miserable with a wife. You buying the best food that don't taste right. You wearing the nicest clothes. You look at yourself in the mirror and you don't look right. Everybody's telling you how good you look and how good you don't feel right. Because you're eating the bread of sorrow. When you exclude God, you will not have joy. You will not have peace. You will not have contentment. If you had everything you thought you could ever want, it will not satisfy you. Because there's a longing. God has placed eternity in our hearts. We have a need for him that only he can meet. We got more people on on antidepressants. Every day somebody does a mass shooting. Last night a dude just goes in and kills his mother and his father and then go kills his girlfriend and her parents because she don't want him no more. There's a mass explosion over in the church. It's just every time you turn around. I want you to understand something. You need to turn this thing over to the Lord. We need to fire ourselves and say, God, you lead us. When God is leading, he'll change a, a hateful person's heart. When God is leading, he'll give you contentment where you've been empty. Where God is leading, you won't have to take medications to feel better, medications to go to work, medications to go to sleep, medications to think right. God will fix it. Man's methods will fail. But let me finish with this. God's methods will succeed. He says in verse the end of the verse, uh, are you still with me? Verse 2, it says, for he gives his beloved sleep. 
God will give you blessed rest. You can be on the concrete floor and be sleeping like a baby. You can buy, buy, spend $5,000 on a mattress and not get a nice one-second sleep. But God, he says, I bless my own with rest. I bless them with rest. He gives you sleep, favor, peace, contentment. I say to people who talk about getting married, don't marry somebody who's constantly complaining and finding fault and they're thinking that somehow you're going to make their life and, and fulfill them. No, if God can't do it, baby, I don't care how pretty you are, how you, how you shape that thing, and how you can just cut your eye just the right way, and he can smell you. I don't care if God doesn't do it. He said, children, here's the second thing. He said, children are an inheritance from the Lord. Children are a blessing, not a curse. I know what the Kardashians are doing. They want to have multiple children, but they don't want to mess up their bodies. So they pay somebody to be a surrogate. How about that? How about that? The Bible says that children are not a curse. And I, I know that nobody wants to have, what do you call a baby, the baby stretch, stretch marks and all that. But every stretch mark is beautiful to me. Somebody say amen. Hey, ladies, hey. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. Uh, speaking of Sister Benson, by the way. <laughs> Children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the wound is a reward. It's not a curse. Man, if I didn't have these kids, well, we could be traveling all over. I can't wait until they get grown. When you get 18, you out of here. Where's that in the Bible? It says at 18, you got to be gone. You know what would have happened if your parents put your fool self out at 18? We'd be visiting you at, uh, at Holmesburg or Gratisford. Happiness in your home. Happiness means that you have the favor of God, the joy of God in your home. You have laughter in your home. That's one of the things I always look for as a social worker. Are they laughing? Not how nice and clean the house is. Is there joy in this house? Is there laughter in this house? Is the home a sanctuary or is it a war zone? Is it a place that you try to avoid? You work extra hours so you don't have to go home. Happiness in the home. Sanctuary, a place of security and intimacy. That's what your home should be. A place we know that no matter how many times people beat you down to work, if you can just get hold of your wife, you can just get home. If I can just get home, I got somebody that loves me. And this used to be at church. I preach a tough sermon on sin, and people look at me like I was crazy. I could imagine bricks in their hand, and, and, it's, and it was just a word. And every time after the sermon, Brandon would come run up to me and wrap his arms around his daddy. Even when mommy didn't have a kiss for me, Brandon was right there to say, all right, I got somebody in this world. <laughs> Here's another blessing. Protection from the things that could cause you fear. 
but shall speak with their enemies at the gate. That's what your children do. That's what they represent. Those things that would harm you, God will put, use your children and other influences to keep harm away from you. The trap that your enemy set for you, he'll, he'll cause them to stumble and fall. Now, let me, let me finish with this. So here, here's how God's plan works. He'll bless you with rest. Your children will be a blessing to you. Happiness will be in your home. Protection. But here's how it happens. Here's how you can do it. Admit that you need to be terminated. Stop trying to be the great father, the grandfather, the grandmother. I don't know how to do that. You talk to people today, and they got so many uncles and cousins and stepfathers and multiple men. How can you figure this out without making somebody mad? You just can't do it. So I'm saying, I admit, Lord, I am not up for the task. But I know you can. Allow God to direct you through his word. The word is what will give you instruction about how to be a husband, how to be a father. But the way that we get the word, the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to be where the word is. Amen. Well, I'm going to church because they got programs for my children. Yeah, they'll help them. The, our kids don't need another program. They need the power that comes from the word of God Amen. that results from changed lives that they see in their parents that come out of the word. Of, they need the word. They got enough programs. They got enough activities. They don't have Jesus. Look at, your, look, at, look, look at your house. Look at the, set, the situation, the status of your decisions. I guarantee you, if you left God out, you have nothing to be proud of. Yeah. Just own that. You, I left God out. You done married Jezebel and Isabel and, or went to this one and that one, and now you got, you didn't get what you wished for because you didn't know what you wanted before you got it. Now you're stuck with it. You better fire yourself. You, know, you ain't good at picking women. You are a, when it comes to picking women, you don't do it right. When it comes to courting and dating women, men today don't think right. Ladies, I'm telling you, we need to reboot this thing. Men need to learn how to be husbands and fathers and men. That we we bit, we bitten the apple, we bitten the forbidden fruit, and we're believing what the world says. And so now we got a lot of heartache and angry women talking about me too. Me, what did I? I didn't. He ain't do nothing to me, but I feel like he should have or could have. <laughs> All somebody has to do is say you did it, and you don't have a job anymore. Admit that you're incapable, allow God to direct you through his word, and your attitude, say attitude is essential. He says, children, view your children as a gift. When you look at that rascal, when they didn't clean their room for the 15th time, and didn't, didn't do their homework, my child is a gift <laughs> from the Lord. <laughs> Verbally express to your children their value. 
Fathers, tell your daughters they're pretty. Tell your son that you're proud of him. Say it. Your attitude means everything. Your nonverbals, I'm reading about a man, uh, Schaefer, who's a great theologian. He and his 15-year-old son were having all kinds of issues. His son was starting to just get really rebellious. And then he realized in his arguing back and forth with his son, he said, I've been away for a month and a half. My son hasn't heard, seen me. He's heard me talking. He called, he called his secretary. He said, shut down every engagement for the next, next month. He just wiped his calendar out, packed his son up, and they went and for an entire month. What he said by his presence and is willing to make a sacrifice. Son, I value you. Our children don't need more stuff. Our wives don't need more stuff. They need more of us. They need us. Oh, ladies, come on and help me out. Amen. Finally. Admit that you're incapable. Allow God to direct you. Attitude is essential. Actions are necessary. Arrows, he said, your children are like arrows, and the more you have of them, the better off you are. But arrows have to be shaped and sharpened. Arrow didn't just pop up. You go down to the neighborhood Lowe's or Home Depot. No, no, no. They got the wood, they got the metal, and they had to go to work. Bob said, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, you've got to do the work. So action is needed. And finally, arrows must be directed. He says, like arrows in, a, in, a, in, a, in an archer's quiver. If you don't, you don't just shoot an arrow in the air, you direct the arrow. You find out what your child's specific propensities are, his bent is, her bent is, what her skills are, what her capabilities And then it's our job to expose them where their gifts and talents are. You're, at, you're pointing the arrow, and the arrow is, if you point it right, he says, your children, when they grow up at the gate, they will speak well of you because now your children are an example of Christ in the community. You've got to aim them. You gotta direct them, you gotta sharpen them, you gotta shape them. Stand with me. When I was a child, adults seemed like giants to me. They did. See, I was vertically challenged. Now that I'm six foot three, <laughs> mind over matter, right? But my stepfather always would purchase these custom made shoes. And they were, I mean, they were nice. They were slick. I wanted to fit his shoes. And so whenever he wasn't around, I would wear his shoes. And I'd be, boom, boom. I mean, it was like, I don't know how many times I fell trying to walk in his shoes. Then I became old enough to fit his shoes. <laughs> and when he wasn't around, <laughs> you fill in the blank. <laughs> But what I came to understand as I became a father and a husband is that although I could fit my father's shoes, I could never wear them. 
I didn't understand the responsibility and the covering and the, and the demands and get it up and go to work. And I, I didn't understand that. I wasn't prepared to do that. God has prepared some shoes that you may think you can fit as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, as a son. You may think you can, but you can't wear them. Because unless you allow God, unless you make a decision, I am going to allow the Lord to build my house, to build my life, to use these gifts. Everything that you do will be in vain. Tell your neighbor, you fired. But God will hire you if you surrender. Now do this with some with some with some. With some conviction, I surrender. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap.